part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. All right. As Pastor Bobby said, we're continuing on in our Seven Lives series. Seven examples of individuals just like you and like me who met with Jesus and have been forever transformed. So our encounter is with the Samaritan woman at the well. And what we're going to look at is how seeking satisfaction outside of that which he provides for us is unfulfilling. Okay. So let's open our Bibles together. Let's always begin in his word. Chapter 4, and we'll start with verses 1 through 7. That's the background and the setup for this encounter. Jesus and his disciples have been in in Judea. And they have been preaching, teaching, and his disciples have been baptizing in his name. As they leave Judea to head back towards Galilee, they kind of veer through Samaria. And they reach a town called Sychar. It is actually near a plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. So we'll start at verse 6. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. So the first thing we want to pull out there is that this happened at noon. Okay, that's the sixth hour in some translations. That means she came out at midday beneath the blazing hot mid-eastern sun. Okay, why would she come out at noon? And logic tells us that if we're going to go draw water, we're going to come out in the early morning hours when it's cool. Okay, well drawing water would have been a communal event for all of the women. One where they would talk, they would share stories, and they would share the burden of going about their daily chores. Okay? And, that, and vision, this is what helped me, the heaviness of those jugs of water. Okay? That you have to go day after day, and you carry these jugs, and you fill them, and that water is so heavy. And it is something that they have to carry. So, of course, they're going to look to share that burden with others. But she does not. She goes at noon. She goes to avoid their... Uh, socialization, maybe to be the butt of their jokes. Okay? She knows that her life is filled with scandals, filled with fractured or damaged relationships. And as we'll see as we continue on reading, five marriages now living with another man that is not her husband. She has been desperately seeking satisfaction and security. And I think the number five for marriages would tell us that she has been seeking in all the wrong places. It's her sense of need, of self-worth, and of significance. They've been repeatedly tied to human relationships. She seeks it in others. She seeks it in a spouse. Okay? The cost of that trail of broken relationships, and I think five marriages, there's one or two broken ones in there, okay? that, that, that cost is clear. Self-isola- self-isolation, regular heartache, and shame. A heart that longs for satisfaction but does not know where to find it. And where does she need to look? Where do we all need to look for that matter? I don't believe the encounter was one of chance. I don't think he thought, you know, well, while I'm here, (laughs) let's just go ahead and fix something. Okay? So let's go on to verses 7 to 10. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? As his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Well, aside from the fact that he was Jewish and she was Samaritan, I think his question is 
simple enough. His thirst stems from the fact that the day is long and hot. He has been walking all day. She sees his physical need. She sees her physical need. And he answers in verse 10, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So what he sees is that he knows the truth about her. He sees into her heart that she is thirsty for something much deeper and much more filling than drinking water. And if he knows her, and if he sees the woman who came into the house of the Pharisees and cried tears to wash his feet, if he sees her, then he sees you and he sees me. And he knows us. He knows that our broken sense of how we find satisfaction will never fail us. What is truly needed in order for us to be fully and lastingly filled is that which can only be quenched by living water. Look again at his words. If you knew the gift of God, you would have asked me and it would have been given to you. Living water. But in the moment, she still remains focused on the physical flowing water of the well. Verses 11 and 12. Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? She says, you have nothing. Where can you get this living water? Again, she sees only and she hears only that there is a man standing in front of her that he has at a well that man dug and that man goes to to quench his own thirst. As I read through that and as I look at the next verse, I just envision his patience. And it's a blessing that I feel every day and one I don't know that I take seriously enough that my Lord, my Savior, has patience with me. If you knew who it is that asks, right? And then he answers again, 13 and 14. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This water of the well versus the water that he is going to give. All right. Let's flash back Old Testament. If you would go to the book of Jeremiah. Chapter 2, verse 13. It's right after Isaiah. Here this is the Lord speaking, and he says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Now what's a cistern? It's a well, a reservoir that is dug for collecting water, and it would have been a critical aspect of living then in the Middle East. They have a very long, dry season, and water is what sustains their life, their livelihood. Now, as a cistern was dug, the walls would have been lined with a masonry-type plaster, okay? Or if it was hewn out of rock, well, masonry cracks, and rocks break. And what would have happened in the bottom of those wells as the water collected, they would have gotten dirty. Or if the masonry had cracked, water would constantly leak out of these cisterns. All along the landscape of the Middle East were broken and empty and dried up 
cisterns. She, the Samaritan woman, has been coming back to this well that we dug day after day to satisfy her thirst. She comes in secret. She comes at noon. The relief that she seeks, it may work for only a very brief time. Hours. But she repeatedly comes back. Day after day, she seeks to satisfy with that physical flowing water. What's happening, this is an example of us choosing our own provision, our own ability to provide over God's. And we think that we can dig a well that is deep enough and that is wide enough and that can collect enough water to satisfy ourselves. The well's broken. Do we not often look to meet our own thirsts with things that cannot fulfill? Do we have a broken sense of how to find meaning and satisfaction? Do we dig cisterns of idolatry for ourselves? Do we seek pleasure or position or prosperity? Do we search for meaning and answers in the places, the things, and the ideas around us that only create more questions? Do we emphasize things that draw us away from Him? Do we misplace our faith? You know, we're spiritual beings. It's what separates us from all of His other creations, our spirit. But we consistently live as though we are physical beings. We try to dig our own artificial reservoir to collect His spiritual water. It will never work. Our true satisfaction can only be met by the fountain of living water. That which He gives will become in us a spring of water that wells to eternal life. Now we have hindsight. We have the Bible and the story that we can look from the outside in. And we can see what she clearly struggles to see in that moment. Don't we all struggle to see things in our own moments? Well, in 15 she says to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and I have to keep coming back here. Well, I'll give her credit. She starts out right. Sir, give me this water. But she still misplaces herself so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw this water. She is again seeking the tangible and the physical water, a worldly desire or a need. She seeks the easy way. She doesn't want to work by coming to the well or to come here by coming in secret. Jesus sees this as well. He sees what she's been searching for. He sees that her life is a broken cistern, the one that she's been trying to fill and use to quench the thirsts of her heart. And he does not hesitate at this point. He does not shy away from identifying her error, the root cause of her constant trials, of her unhappiness. Look what he says in verse 16. Go call your husband and come back. Here's the most important thing. He points out her sin. The falseness of her own self-satisfying efforts. He sheds light upon what she has been trying to fix for herself. He sees that in order to find the real and the true, deep, lasting satisfaction that she needs, she must first see the inadequacy of the alternatives that she's choosing. In verse 17 and 18, she answers him, I have no husband. I read that in a two-second sentence. But if I put myself in her place, 
life were all in her place. I can't imagine the pain that she must feel to answer that question. I think she might have barely whispered it. You know, I have no husband. And he says, you were right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five. And the man you now have is not your husband. So what you have said is quite true. There is ultimate emptiness only when we misplace our faith, when we seek comfort in a possession or in recognition in a relationship. It's broken, and a broken cistern will always leak. If we don't recognize that we're a broken cistern, then the eventual emptiness of it will be our prison. You know, I thought it was just an interesting piece of information that when it said at the beginning that when he stopped near Sakar, that it was on a plot of ground that uh, Jacob gave to his son Joseph. When Joseph's brothers sought to rid themselves of him, they threw him in a pit. Y'all remember the story? What they threw him into was a broken sister. That was dried up, one of those many that dotted the landscape. That word broken stuck out to me. I didn't, I didn't know how many times it was referenced in the Bible. I had to look it up. It says... Uh, at one point, well, Google tells me that um, it's mentioned 74 times in the Old Testament when it speaks alone referencing the tearing down of high places. Okay, It's mentioned in regards to the Lord commanding those high places to be torn down. One example is from Numbers uh, chapter 33, verse 52. He's speaking uh, to Joshua or to Moses as they cross the uh, Jordan. Drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you. Destroy all their carved images and their cast idols and demolish all of their high places. Basically, unless and until our high places are torn down, the Lord cannot fully establish himself there. So why would Jesus then turn and point out her five husbands? Why would he point out her sin? because he loves her, just like he loves us when he forces us to face our own sins. If we don't know that something is broken, we don't know to fix it. Sometimes we have to be empty in order to be filled up with what is real and true and deep, lasting, healing. And you know, we try so hard just to keep our own reservoir halfway filled up with the cravings of our personal desires, those things we think are important. We even try to go half full with the water of the world and half full with that living water of Christ. When we do that, we're fighting against the truth in the situation. It is when we face and see the inadequacies of our worldly ways that we begin to recognize that what we are is a broken sister, and that is what we are working with. Even those relationships that God has blessed, and marriage is most assuredly a blessed gift of God without Christ are broken cisterns. There is no person who has ever come to Christ with an already filled cistern. And it is okay if we're sitting here now with a crack in a broken cistern because he knows. He knows. He sees us. He knows that it's broken. And he knows that it will empty out when we stop trying to fill it up ourselves. And that's what he wants. The reality is that the fullness The truth is that the fullness of his living water cannot happen until our cistern is first emptied. We cannot go half and half. When it is allowed to be emptied, 
then and only then will we have opened ourselves up to be 100% filled with his living water, the truth of Christ. Her sins have been exposed. They're laid out. Her needful heart is her broken cistern. You know, and still in that moment, what she does recognize is that perhaps before her is a prophet. Verse 19, the woman says, I can see that you are a prophet. Verse 20, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Is she trying to sidetrack him? Is she trying to avoid her sins? Maybe. Okay. But what I want us to look at here is that right now we are a broken cistern that cannot be filled with our own efforts. That we can only be filled with the satisfaction provided by the living water. So let's move into 21 and 24. Let's see what he says here. Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the same spirit and in truth. Relating to God no longer requires a specific place or a specific ritual, a series of animal sacrifices that doesn't require their religion. Those laws and sacrifices, they were only ever meant to be a temporary connection or a momentary cleansing of our sins before the presence of a holy God. What all that was meant to do was point to Jesus. Look at Hebrews verse 10, 1 and 2. I think it's going to be up on the board. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason it can never, by the same sacrifice, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise would they not have stopped being offered, for the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. God is spirit. He's not simply a more complex physical being. He is not restricted to a physical place. God is spirit and we are spiritual beings. We must worship with our whole heart through living water and an unbroken cistern. Verses 25 and 26, she says to him, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Can you imagine hearing that? We hear it, don't we? All the time. I am he. We no longer need an earthly altar. We have a heavenly sent sacrificial lamb. Joshua 3.10 says, You will know that the living God is among you. We are a broken cistern that cannot be filled with our own devices. It can only be filled with the satisfaction provided by living water. And the one who provides that living water is here now. The best gift, you're looking at the relationships that she had. The best gift we can give to someone that we love, to anyone that we seek a relationship with, is to have our personal satisfaction found in Christ Jesus. If our satisfaction is found in Him and is not misplaced on them, we are ready to then be of service, prepared to serve as Christ served us. So let's look at a final act revealed in the encounter. He has said, I am He. She's heard. 
verses 28-30. Then leaving her water jug, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Did you catch that first few words of verse 28? What did she leave? She left her water jug. Yeah. The reason she came, she no longer sought that flowing water of Jacob's well. She no longer sought a momentary satisfaction of thirst, but the living water of Christ. She went to the people and she shared what she knew. She saw the brokenness of her cistern. She no longer sought to fill, even partially, the cistern that she dug with the water of the world. But she's made room for the water of spirit and truth. John chapter 14, 17 to 18. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. Many of the Samaritans, this is verse 39 through 42, from that town believed in him because of what the woman's testimony said. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came out, they urged him to stay, and he did for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we believe because we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. She who was lost and isolated, who was looking to fill a broken cistern, left her water jug and went and told what she knew. She let the living water fill her and she took the message to the others. Isn't that true of God, that he's willing to use the weak and the broken? That he's willing to use the least among us to carry his message and to convey the good news to others? It's him who has the power to transform. And as they draw to Christ, it is he who will point out their brokenness He who will point out their misplaced searches or their unquenchable thirst. And it's because of the words that he gives to their heart that they will believe. Look at Matthew verse 26. I think it's on the board. Or chapter 26, verse 26. It's something that we are all very familiar with. We've heard it many, many times. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks... He broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat, this is my body. We often do this during our communion service. We've heard it. He took the bread and he broke it. He allowed himself to be broken for us. If he allows himself to be broken for us, we ought to allow ourselves to be broken for him. Once broken... He will come and he will give us living water. And when filled, we will take it. And we will take it and share the good news because that is what he wants. He wants to use us. If we are not broken for Jesus, then how can we ever be ready to go out and be used by him? Broken and emptying of a cistern may be painful now, but there will be greater joy tomorrow as he fixes it and molds it fills it with his living water. Let's close in a prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, as we leave the walls of this church building today, we know that you see us. And we know that you know us. You know our thirst, our longing for purpose, 
for hope, for needs, you know what they are. Thanks be to our Savior's encounter with one of us, the Samaritan woman, to help us realize that the deep and longing satisfaction that we thirst for can only be found by his living water, that which your Son, Jesus Christ, has provided. We are all broken and we are all leaking. We must all turn from our efforts at filling and seeking satisfaction at our own well. We all stand in fresh need to meet our Savior. Guide us and strengthen us as we leave this place this morning, as we take the transforming power of your world out into a world that is thirsting for you. Father, we are all broken, and we are now ready to be filled with Christ and used for your glory. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.